0: You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. the proud son of a teacher. Uh, My mom gave her life uh, to education, uh, to teaching the next generation. She retired this year and so uh, she sends me text messages regularly. It's like a Tuesday afternoon and they're at the beach or something like that. So I've stopped responding to my mom's text messages. Um, But I've spent a lot of time in classrooms Right? and one of the things that I've noticed the, uh, the more time that I spent in classrooms was that a lot of teachers uh, they had kind of inspirational quotes on the wall I had a football coach he also taught math uh, and he had a, a poster on his wall for as long as I knew him uh, and it said shoot for the moon even if you miss you'll land among the stars uh, now some of these inspirational quotes uh, maybe they made sense maybe they were true uh, some of them um, it made me scratch my head a little bit. Uh, I served as a student pastor for several years, and uh, the middle school uh, that most of our middle school students uh, went to, they had a theme for the year. It was kind of a, a theme saying, and it was something like this: It was hard work beats talent. When talent doesn't work hard. Maybe you've heard something like that. Well, I had a, a gentleman who served in our student ministry. Uh, he was a former college football player. Uh, and I was talking about that statement, and he said, Ethan, that's a lie. I was like, oh, okay, uh, enlighten me, friend. Uh, and he said, well, it doesn't matter how hard you try you will never beat LeBron James or Michael Jordan in a game of basketball. It doesn't matter how hard you try, you'll never be faster than Usain Bolt. You'll never sing better than Johnny Cash. You'll never throw a football better than Tom Brady. Uh, And so my response to him was, thank you for your encouragement, brother. Right? Uh, Thank you for uh, those words of edification and affirmation. Uh, but uh, some of them, maybe not so true, uh, but some of them are. Uh, there's one that goes something like this: that nothing worth doing is easy right? Uh, If it's worth doing, then it takes work. If it's worth doing, maybe it even takes a little pain. Uh, And where we come to this morning in Philippians 1, uh, we come to a place where Paul is really going to take that phrase or something similar, and he's going to gospelize it, right? He's going to give us uh, a gospel spin on uh, a phrase similar to this. And so as we look here at Philippians chapter 1, uh, what we see in this passage is this, is that advancing the gospel is often costly, but always worth it. Advancing the gospel is often costly, and it's always worth it. Look with me in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word, and we're going to read down to verse 30. Starting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, the Spirit says to us this morning, I want you to know, brothers, The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue, continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you, have, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again." For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word, and you can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your grace this morning. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, we pray what we just sang. Lord, we pray that you would speak even now because we want to hear from you. And so Lord, teach us through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. As we look at this passage and we think about this truth that advancing the gospel is often costly and always worth it, we're going to see three truths from this passage about advancing the gospel. The first truth is this, is the how of advancing the gospel, or we might say the way of advancing the gospel. The gospel doesn't advance by accident, right? God uses his people and it's often costly. It's always worth it. But it always goes forward. The gospel always moves forward through God's people. Now, if you remember last week, uh, we began in this study in the book of Philippians, and uh, Paul introduces uh, himself. He introduces this letter. He introduces why he's writing. And if you remember from last week, Paul's writing in chains. He's writing from a prison cell in Rome. Uh, He's writing because he's been thrown in prison, not for breaking the law, not for this, not for that, but for preaching the gospel. And at this point in Roman history, Uh, preaching the gospel isn't illegal. Uh, Paul's just making the wrong people mad. And so he's writing and, and he says here in verse 12 that God is using Paul's imprisonment to advance the gospel. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so how is God using Paul's imprisonment to advance the gospel? Well, he's doing it in two ways. First, the whole imperial guard has heard the gospel. And now the imperial guard, these were the special forces of the day. These were the ones that were guarding the palace. These were the ones that were guarding the emperor. They were viewed as an impenetrable force. No one got through the imperial guard. What Paul says here is that the gospel gets through, right? That God is penetrating the imperial guard imperial guard with the gospel that as there's a shift change every time there's a shift change Paul doesn't think oh no there's a new guard he thinks oh yes there's a new guard right oh no there's a new guard I have to deal with no there's a new guard that I get to share the gospel with right there's a new guard that I get to tell about Jesus And so the gospel's advancing through Paul's imprisonment by him preaching the gospel to the imperial guard. But second, we see this in verse 14, that many in Rome, they've heard of his imprisonment and they've been energized by it. Look at verse 14. He says, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word and look at that last phrase without fear. Now, we might expect that Paul has been thrown in prison. The brothers, the sisters in Rome, they hear that Paul is in prison. And so we might think that, hey, they're going to go into hiding, right? If this can happen to Paul, then I certainly need to be careful. I need to be careful about who I'm sharing the gospel with. I need to be careful about who I'm talking to Jesus with. But just the opposite happens. Right? Is Paul's thrown in prison, the mission of God doesn't slow down. The mission of God speeds up. His work isn't hindered. Instead, it's fueled by the situation. These believers, they see Paul's example, and they're encouraged by it. They see that Paul is willing to go to prison for the sake of Jesus. And so in their minds, what's happening isn't, oh, no, I might go to prison. But what's happening is, oh, I can do that too. Right, I can preach the gospel. I can share the gospel in that way. But then something strange happens in Paul's kind of narrative of what's happening. Right? He says that many have been emboldened. Many are preaching the gospel. But then look at verse 15. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So there's, there's a group of people who are preaching the gospel because they love Jesus. Right? They're preaching the gospel because they want people to know Jesus. But there's another group, and they're preaching the gospel from envy and rivalry. Now, we don't know much about this group. We don't know who they were. We don't know where they came from. But what we do know is that there's some kind of envy and rivalry that has happened with them towards Paul. Now, some commentators, they speculate about what might this envy and rivalry be. And so many believe that this was a group, it was probably the Judaizers that we read about in Galatians, who they think that they can preach in a better way and maybe even preach a better gospel than Paul. But what many commentators speculate is they think that what's happened here is that if you jump over to 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I didn't come with great and lofty speech. What he's saying is I didn't come as an eloquent communicator. And so this group that's preaching the gospel from envy and rivalry, they're a group that thinks, oh, I can preach the gospel more eloquently than Paul can. Or they look at what happens to Paul, that he's constantly shipwrecked. He's constantly being imprisoned. He's constantly being beat. And they think, Paul must be doing something wrong. I can do it better. Right? Can you imagine thinking I can preach the gospel better than the Apostle Paul? <laughs> that, that's insane, right? That's uh, that that is uh, that's just hard to fathom. But that's what this group has done. They said, "Look, we can preach better than Paul can." But what does Paul say? He says, "I rejoice." He says, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So this group thinks that by preaching the gospel, that they're they're kind of taking a shot at Paul. Like, Paul, look, you're in prison, but we can do the real work of ministry. But what does Paul say? He says, the former, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so, this group that they're preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry, thinking that it's gonna like get under Paul's skin, Paul says, Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. He's killing them with kindness, right? He's trying to get under their skin. He's trying, they're trying to get under his skin. They're trying to, to poke him, to prod him a little bit, to agitate him. And what does Paul say? Praise the Lord. The gospel is going forward. See, for Paul, the gospel was bigger than him. He didn't care if they could preach better than he could. He didn't care if they had more opportunities to share that he didn't have. He cared that people heard the gospel. He cared that God was being glorified as sinners were being called to trust in Jesus. What mattered to him wasn't who was preaching the gospel or why they were preaching the gospel, just that they were preaching the gospel. Because if they're preaching the gospel, then they're on the same team. This should be our posture towards other churches, right? Other churches, are, we're not in competition with them. I praise the Lord for other churches. I got a text message this morning uh, from a pastor here in the area just telling me that he was praying for me and he was praying for Central, right? That's the kind of gospel partnership that we need if we're going to reach our community and our city and our state for Christ, Amen. right? That's, that's what we need, and that's what Paul demonstrates here. Maybe you're familiar with the name George Whitfield. Uh, George Whitefield was one of the great evangelists of the first Great Awakening. And in fact, Benjamin Franklin, uh, who wasn't a believer, he would go just to hear George Whitefield preach because Whitefield could draw crowds of thousands. And what we know from history, even from Benjamin Franklin himself, is that Whitefield could draw crowds, not just of thousands, but of tens of thousands. And he had this booming voice so that everyone could hear him. He didn't have a microphone. He didn't have a megaphone. Whitefield could just preach and so. A way uh, that his voice carried and people could hear. And, and Whitfield was part, uh, along with John Wesley, of founding what today we called Methodism, right? So, Methodist churches, they came out of a movement born out of uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley. And in the early days of Methodism, uh, of the Methodist movement, uh, there was a, a kind of a fracture. There was a, a split that was starting to be seen, and what it was is that some people were drawing their allegiance to Wesley, and some were drawing their allegiance to Whitfield. and Whitfield hears about this, that there are people dividing over well i 'm with Whitfield and I 'm with Wesley." and so what Whitfield decides is he decides that he 's going to step away from the movement he 's going to hand over leadership, he 's going to hand over influence to John Wesley. And, and as some of his followers, they begin to hear about this, they say Whitfield, if you do this, your name will be forgotten to history. And this was Whitfield's response. He says, my name, let the name of Whitfield perish, if only the name of Christ be glorified. And that's, that's what Paul is calling us to hear. I, I don't care why they preach the gospel. I'm just glad they're preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter if I'm the one that's preaching the gospel or if the people come to faith uh, when I share the gospel because ultimately Paul's saying he's not the one who saves anyone. Right? We are not the ones who save anyone. We're just the messengers. And so if someone else is going to preach the gospel, then we should praise the Lord for that. We should get excited about that. We should celebrate that, that it doesn't matter what we know about them, but if they're preaching the gospel, if they're preaching the true gospel, the biblical gospel, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, then we can celebrate that. We can be excited about that. Now, we learned something important about the nature of the gospel in these verses. And that's this, that the gospel is a message, right? The gospel is something that is shared. The gospel is something that is preached. The gospel is something that is proclaimed. And so maybe you've heard uh, this phrase, and it's, we don't know where it came from. Some people try to attribute it to different people, but it's something like this. They preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Now, I can appreciate that for what it's saying, right? It's saying to live out the gospel, right? To, and we're going to see here in just a minute where Paul calls us to the life worthy of the gospel. But saying preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary, is like me telling you, hey, tell me your phone number, but use digits when applicable, Right? The only way you can tell me your phone number is if you give me numbers, right? Is if you give me digits. The only way that we can preach the gospel is with words. Because here's the thing. No one will be saved from your good works. No one will be saved by your random acts of kindness. People are saved By one name under heaven, and that's the name of Jesus Christ, right? There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus is what Paul says. And so does that mean we shouldn't do good works? We shouldn't do these acts of kindness? Not at all. But what we've got to understand is that when we love people through our work, through our acts, uh, when we uh, do that, what we're doing is we're earning an audience to be able to present the gospel, uh, to be able to share the gospel, to be able to, be able to speak the gospel. Right. See, the gospel is a message that we proclaim. It, it's, a, it's a message to be declared. The word gospel means good news. Good news. And if it's good news, then that means it's news that has to be shared. It has to be talked about. And what an opportunity that the God of the universe would decide to use people like me and like you to accomplish his purposes in the world. That God's plan to reach the world involves you. Now, it doesn't hinge on you. The most important person in this story isn't you. The most important person in this story is God. But God has designed that he would use you and me for his work in the world. God has designed that eternity would be changed by the words that you and I speak, by the message that you and I share. And that message is one that he has given us to proclaim. That's an opportunity and a privilege. See, advancing the gospel is often costly, but it's always worth it. So we see the how of advancing the gospel. Next, we see this, the reward of advancing the gospel. The reward of advancing the gospel. This isn't just an awesome opportunity. It also comes with a reward. See, advancing the gospel is costly, but it's always worth it. And it's worth it because we know that there is a reward for us. Now, remember, Paul's riding from prison. He, he's riding in chains. He's riding with an imperial guard, or some translations say the Praetorian guard, standing next to him. So in your mind, maybe to paint a picture for you, you've got Paul, who wasn't very impressive, in shackles. And he's got like Arnold Schwarzenegger standing next to him, right? Uh, he's in a, a hole, basically, that is just built out of rock. It probably is, has water leaking. It's not super comfortable. He's not well fed. He's riding in a situation that we would understand if he felt a little melancholy or a little blue. But what does Paul say? He says, yes, I will rejoice. He's riding from prison, but he doesn't sound like a man who's riding from prison. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. Look at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the Philippians' prayers, Paul is going to be delivered. Now, we see this mystery here, right, that God works through his Spirit and through the prayers of his people. Now, Paul's intentionally ambiguous here. Notice he doesn't say that I'm confident that I will be freed from prison. He says, I'm confident that I'll be delivered. That's right. And so this could be a deliverance from prison. Maybe it's a deliverance from suffering. Maybe he's talking about salvation here. But what we see in verse 20 is that ultimately the answer to those questions doesn't matter. Verse 20, he says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. See, Paul's concern isn't about his life, it's about his faithfulness. That he would be faithful to the God who had saved him. He wants to honor Jesus in his life or his death. And then we come to verse 21. Verse 21 is what I like to call a tattoo verse, right? That if I wasn't afraid of needles and didn't have commitment issues, I would get this tattooed on me somewhere, right? Uh, Because uh, this verse sums up so much uh, of what our lives should be as Christians. Verse 21, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If Paul lives, then he serves. To live as Christ means that Christ defines the meaning of life. That he will be controlled by Jesus. But death is gain because he gets Jesus. So what this means is that whether it's life or death, Paul wins because Paul gets Jesus. Nothing else matters because Paul gets Jesus. See, this is the reward of the gospel. The reward of the gospel is not ultimately heaven or eternal life or blessing. The reward of advancing the gospel is ultimately Jesus. See, everything else are gifts that Jesus brings, but we don't come to Jesus to get his gifts. We come to Jesus to get Jesus, right? Too often, we are like the the children at a birthday party. Right? If you've ever been to a kid's birthday party, typically they don't care about who brought the gift. They just care about the gift. Right? They're opening that present and the mom or the dad is standing behind them saying, hey, there's a card. And they open the card and they just shake it to see if money falls out. And then they chunk it, right? <laughs> because they care more about the present than who gave it to them. Too often that's you and I that we care more about the gift than the giver. And when we care more about the gift than the giver, the Bible has a word for that. It's called idolatry. See, heaven is a good gift. Eternal life is a good gift. Blessing is a good gift. But if Jesus isn't there, then we shouldn't want it. There's a name for life separated from a relationship with the Father, and that's called hell. Right? If God isn't there, then we shouldn't want it. The reward of the gospel is Jesus. The reward of the gospel is that we get to go and be with the most glorious, the most beautiful, the most perfect, the most wonderful, the most powerful person in the universe. Right, The most powerful person ever. That's what we should want. But Paul's drive here, it's not just for himself. It's also for the Philippians. He, he wants to depart But he knows that they need him. Look at verse 25. Paul says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, that word progress. He uses that there in verse 25 for your progress and joy in the faith. That's the same word that we have translated for advance in verse 12. So Paul says, how is the gospel advancing? Well, the gospel is advancing in the same way that your joy and your faith is progressing. See, they need to grow, but Paul wants to be with them for their joy as well because he wants them to know that this joy that he has and that they need, this faith that he has and that they need, that it only comes from one place, and it comes from Jesus. He wants to stay with them so that he can see them grow in Jesus. The reward of advancing the gospel is that we get more Jesus, but it's also that we get to see others experience more of Jesus. You get to see others Find joy. You get to see others come alive to Jesus, come alive in their faith. If you've never walked with someone and seen someone move from death to life, seen someone talk about the gospel and then believe the gospel, there's no greater joy than that. There's nothing greater that you can give someone, but there's also nothing greater that you can experience as they come to faith in Christ. When we advance the gospel, we get to see others come alive to the joy that only Jesus can give. And so the reward of advancing the gospel is Jesus, and then we get to see others get Jesus. There's a pastor, his name's Robbie Gallaty, Uh, he says it like this. He says that the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. And so when we advance the gospel... We are being gospel highways, not gospel cul-de-sacs, right? Too often we're gospel cul-de-sacs where uh, the gospel comes, it comes to a dead end. It just comes to us. But what we've been called to is we've been called to be gospel highways, that we take the gospel to others, that it came to us on its way to someone else, and we're going to make sure it gets there. We're going to make sure it gets there because as we take it, we get more of Jesus, but also that person gets Jesus. And so not only do we get to experience our joy, but we get to experience their joy as well. That's the reward of advancing the gospel. See, advancing the gospel is often costly and it's always worth it. We, we see the how of advancing the gospel and the reward of advancing the gospel. Finally, we see this, the cost of advancing the gospel. The cost of advancing the gospel. There's no promise anywhere in the Bible that what God calls us to will be easy. There's no promise in the Bible that what God calls you and I to will be comfortable. Things worth doing are rarely easy, But they're worth it. And this is true of advancing the gospel. Advancing the gospel is costly, but it's always worth it. And so what's the cost of advancing the gospel? The cost of advancing the gospel is our lives. Look at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side, for the sake of the gospel. See, our lives should match the worth and the weight of the gospel, that the gospel should inform every area of our lives. that every area of our lives should be impacted, should be affected by the good news that Jesus has come to save. And he shows us what this looks like here at the end of verse 27. A life lived worthy of the gospel is a life united with other believers in the church. He says, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What Paul's saying is that if your life is going to look worthy of the gospel, if you're going to live a life that is worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, then what that means is that you're going to humble yourself, you're going to lay your wants and your needs and your desires down for the sake of the mission, and you're going to strive side by side with the church for the sake, for the faith of the gospel. We stand firm in one spirit. We strive side by side. In other words, a life lived worthy of the gospel is not a life that can be lived alone. It's a life lived in partnership. Now in verse 28, Paul introduces some new characters to this story. He says, and don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Now, the Philippians are dealing with some kind of opposition. We're not sure what it was. It was probably a mild form of opposition. It was probably financial or economic. At this point, we don't have any evidence that the Philippians are being thrown in prison or that they're being beat for their faith. But what's probably happening is that as the community begins to see that the Philippians have an allegiance that is to someone greater than Caesar, they start to get nervous. And so Paul says, don't get nervous You don't have anything to be frightened about. Instead, know that your unity is a sign to the rest of the watching world of their destruction, but of your salvation. And the reason unity is a sign to the watching world of their destruction is because the unity that Paul was calling the Philippians to enjoy, the unity that he was calling them to experience, is a unity that can only be built by God's power. It's not a unity that can be built by just sheer will of force. It's not a unity that can be built just on superficial things, but it's a unity where the rich and the poor, the slave and the free are coming together and they're experiencing the love and the power of God's grace. And so as the world watches, they see this power at work and they're reminded, hey, their God is real, right. right? Their gospel is true. This Jesus is powerful. Now, he ends this section with an interesting statement. Look at verse 29. He says, For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. There's two things that have been granted to the Philippians. Philippians their faith to believe and that they would suffer for the gospel. Now that word granted there that we've got translated there, it literally means to graciously give. So what Paul is saying is that God is graciously giving us the opportunity to believe the gospel and to suffer for his sake. That kind of comes out of nowhere. Is we're reading this, right? Yeah, he's, he's given us the grace to believe the gospel, praise the Lord. And then Paul says, oh, but he's also given you the gift of suffering for his sake, right? For many of us, I know for me, when I first read that, I think like, God, that's not the gift I want, right? That, that's not the gift that I want to experience. But What Paul says is that our opportunity to suffer for the gospel is really God's grace at work in our lives. See what this means that God has determined that we should grow through pain, that our pain has a purpose. And so as we suffer, God does a work that can only happen in the season of suffering. In, In my mind, this is one of the greatest apologetics, one of the greatest defenses for the Christian faith, that we don't suffer needlessly or purposelessly, but that our suffering has a point, right. right? That there's a reason that we suffer and that reason that we suffer, it isn't just because we live in a fallen and in a broken world. But the reason that we suffer is that life in a fallen and broken world isn't pointless, but that God is using that brokenness. He's using that fallen situation, this fallen state that we find ourselves in for our good and for his glory. What this means is that we live in a constant Genesis 50, 20 moment. That what man meant for evil, God meant for good. So that no matter what that bad, hard, painful situation it is, whether it's that you're being thrown in prison because you're preaching the gospel, or whether you've just gotten that diagnosis that you weren't expecting, God is using that to make you more and more and more like Jesus. See, suffering is like a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon. The surgeon inflicts pain, but he inflicts pain to fix what has gone wrong. That God allows us to walk through seasons of suffering and pain and trials, not because he's angry at us, but because he loves us. And he's using those seasons. He's using those times. He's using those trials like a surgeon uses a scalpel to cut away what needs to be cut away so that you and I can get more and more and more of Jesus and less and less and less of ourselves and of this world and all that sin has to offer. Because Jesus is infinitely better than anything that we might want to hold on to, right, that Jesus is better. Thank you, and so maybe we read verses like Philippians 121, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And we think, amen, I want some of that, right? I want faith like Paul's. Well, you ever wonder where did Paul's faith come from? See, we all want Paul like faith, but we don't want Paul like suffering. See, Paul had walked through the fire. He had walked through the school room of pain and suffering, and he had come out on the other side knowing that God is faithful, right? that God is able, that God is good, that God is working. And so I can now say to live is Christ and to die is gain, because I know that if I live, I get to serve Jesus who is good, and if I die, I get to go and be with him, and that's even better right and so we can walk through these things knowing that suffering has a purpose Charles Spurgeon said it like this he says there's no university for the christian like that of sorrow and trial there's no place where we are better schooled where we are better taught than in the season of sorrow and pain and suffering and trial and if you talk to someone who's been walking with Jesus for a while, and you talk to them about seasons of pain and suffering and trials that they've gone through, I promise you that they will tell you that God did his best work there. Right? That God does his best work whenever it seems like he is the farthest away. And if you need proof of that, just look to the cross of Calvary. Jesus cries out. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we know, Jesus is quoting the Psalms and that God was doing a work there, right? We We shouldn't confuse God's silence for God's absence. And so when we walk through that season of suffering, And that season might be weeks or months or years or decades. When we walk through that season of suffering, we can be convinced that God is faithful and that he was faithful then and he's going to be faithful now. That he was faithful when life was comfortable and he's going to be faithful when life is hard. See, God is always good and he's always working even when we don't understand it. Even when we don't see it. And so when we advance the gospel, there's a cost that we're going to encounter because here is a little maybe surprise for you. Satan doesn't like it when the gospel moves forward. right? Satan doesn't like it when the gospel advances. And and so he's going to do what he can to stop it. There's a cost that we're going to pay. But the Bible's pretty clear. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That, That he who is in us... The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ that is living inside of us, He is better, He is stronger, He is greater, He is more powerful than anything that is in the world. And that's good news for us. See, advancing the gospel is often costly, but it's always worth it. And in this passage, we see the how of advancing the gospel, the reward of advancing the gospel, the cost of advancing the gospel. And this passage, for us, is really a call for you and I to take the mission that God has given to us seriously. It's an awesome opportunity to be used by the Lord to impact eternity, but it doesn't come without risk. It doesn't come without cost. But what we know is that the risk and cost is worth it. We can risk it all because we know that no matter what, at the end of the day, we get Jesus. We can risk it all because we know that no matter what happens, in the end, we win because Jesus wins. And so here is my challenge for you this morning. This is a question that you've heard before uh, and it's a question that this passage I think is calling us to today. It's who is your one? Who's the one person that you can begin praying for and looking for ways to tangibly show the love of Jesus so that you can get an audience with them to share the love of Jesus, to share the gospel. I'm not asking you uh, to think of 10 people or to think of five people or to think of three people, but who's the one person that God has put in your life that you can focus on, that you can begin praying for, that you can begin looking for ways and opportunities to share the gospel with? Uh, Who's the one person that you can come along beside and that you can say, hey, I want to introduce you to, joy, and his name is Jesus. So, so maybe this morning you just take and you just write on a piece of paper. Hey, here's my one. When I was younger, uh, people would say, hey, open your Bible to the front flap and write that name in the, the front page of your Bible. A lot of us use our Bible on phones now. Your phone has a, has a notes app, right? Put it in there. Who's that person you can begin praying for that they would know and believe the gospel? And then here's the thing, don't just write their name down, but start praying, start looking, start pleading that the Lord would save that. Because God doesn't desire that any man should perish, but that all should come to faith in Christ. That's right. Amen. Now maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and you are the one. Maybe you're the one that needs to believe the gospel. Maybe you're the one that needs to encounter this joy that only Jesus can offer. Well, I'm so glad you're here today. Because that is why we are here to celebrate the joy that only Jesus can give. And we would love to talk with you more about what does it look like to give your heart and your life to Jesus. And so we'd love to start that conversation. You can do this in a couple ways. If you're uh, watching online or maybe even in the room, you can send a text to 407-338-4024. 407-338-4024. There's someone on the other end of that line. We'd love to start that conversation with you. You can walk right out this room. You can hang a right. You can go to our next steps room. And there are people in there who are ready to have a conversation with you about what does it look like to follow Jesus. So here in just a minute, we are going to stand and we are going to sing. And as we stand, as we sing, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As you sing these words, I'm going to ask you to be praying for your one. Who's that one person you can be praying for? Who's that one person you can be sharing the gospel with? Maybe that one person doesn't even know your name. Maybe it's a neighbor that you need to start a relationship with. Maybe it's a coworker that you need to invest in. But I'm going to ask you to just be praying for that one. But I'm also going to ask you to be praying for that one who maybe is in this room or watching online and they need to respond to the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your grace and your mercy. God, we're grateful for the gospel that saves And Father, I pray that you would be with us today, that you would be with us even now. Father, I pray that you would give us a heart to pray for and to share the gospel and to see our one come to faith in Christ. And God, I pray that even now that you would work in hearts and in lives right now in this room and who are watching online and that you would bring them to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.